Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is getting over your ex. How do you do it? Let's find out. Hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandel, and you're listening to Kinda Dating. I'm here with my beautiful, talented co-host. Oh, you're oh. beautiful and talented. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. How are you? Yeah, Isha, because I see her on a Zoom video right now, and she looks really fucking good. <laughs> and I love that you're wearing a, a I Voted button. I'm rocking my sticker. Yes. This episode will probably come out Past elections. Yeah. But shout out to all the people who voted. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Exercise your right. You did right? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Canadian. I can't do it. So you guys have to do it for me. Yes. Um, well, friends, we uh, are, are so glad you joined us today. We have a few fun things to mention. Remember, um, we really would like to grow this podcast even bigger. Um, so, so help us out. Uh, tell a friend because word of mouth is uh, the best endorsement. Um, Tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it. Also, if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star rating or review, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. Um, I know a lot of you listen on Spotify and iHeartRadio and all the wonderful places. Um, If you hear it on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. We're also on social media, so follow us. We're at Kinda Dating Across the Board, Aisha. I am at Aisha Says Dance Across the Board. And I am at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha Chandel official on Facebook, Natasha dot Chandel on TikTok. Um, on, in November, we're starting Instagram lives on Sundays and Thursdays. So uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Natasha Chandel and Aisha says dance. And uh, we will be on uh, Instagram Live answering your questions because I know sometimes this feels like a one-way conversation, but it's not because mm-hmm. we want to hear from you. And so you can ask us whatever questions you want directly. Okay, we are ready to jump into today's episode. We're so excited. I'm very excited to have speaker, entrepreneur, author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, which is coming out in bookstores on December 1st. She has been featured in New York Times, Good Morning America, Glamour, the list goes on. She's also been called the scientific version of Carrie Bradshaw. So guys, welcome Amy Chan. Hi, thanks for having me. What's up? Hi. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Oh, yeah. yeah. We have some great episodes with you. Um, so, Amy, we always start, you know, we ask everybody the same question. Aisha, go for it. Are you single or in a relationship? I'm in a relationship. Hey. Mm, how long? <laughs> uh, it's been almost a year and a half. Wow. Nice. Yeah. We moved from New York to Vancouver together. Oh, uh, you're in Canada. Just a few months ago. Yeah. Oh, how is it? I love Vancouver. I'm born and raised here. And so coming back, I have a newfound appreciation, but my boyfriend had never even visited. And uh, he said, let's do it. And uh, in the midst of quarantine, we decided to up and move our lives from New York City to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Wow. But it's much better there right now with um, the pandemic and stuff because, I mean, I used to live in New York and I'm from Canada and I know that it's very, like, I mean, on the East Coast, I, my heart goes out to everybody because I know this is a tough winter um, and Oof, yeah. you, know, you guys can't go anywhere. Uh, people can't step out the way, like in LA, we're really lucky, right, Aish, that we can mm-hmm. still do outdoor patios and stuff even in December, January, but- it, Yeah, not much is going to change. Yeah, <laughs> but for New York, it's like, it's freezing. Yeah. It might be better though, because then it's just another quarantine and they can end it quicker. <laughs> Maybe true, <laughs> but it just gets lonely because it's, yeah, yeah. it's a smaller environment, right? Mm-hmm. I assume that's why you left, Amy. 
Yeah, I was in lockdown for 45 days. We didn't even leave the apartment. We, mm. we even had like quarantine clothes when we went to the elevator to pick up our food downstairs. Mm. And, it, you know, 650 square foot apartment and it was just insane. And yeah. so, yeah, May, we're like, let's go. We had three weeks and we packed up all of our stuff and Uh-oh. we got out. That's mm. great. I mean, not great for New York, but great for you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, okay. We're talking about your book, which is Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, um, and sort of your whole approach to getting over an ex and get, and getting over a breakup. So firstly, what compelled you to write this book? I have struggled with my heart my entire life and I couldn't understand it, which is why 12 years ago, I started diving into understanding the psychology of relationships and I became a writer. And I couldn't figure out because I was successful in my career, I had good friends, but I was constantly heartbroken over and over again. And I felt like there was something wrong with me and that I must have been broken. And then I started dating someone in Vancouver and I thought he was it. We talked about our future, about family, and I, was, I thought I was living the dream. And back then my dream was climb up the corporate ladder, marry an entrepreneur, and eventually have children stay at home and work on the side for fun. That was my dream. That was the only dream I knew. And then when that relationship fell apart, I completely fell apart. I based so much of my identity on him and us. And I wasn't only just mourning our relationship, I was mourning this future plan that now would never be actualized. And I don't know which part was harder for me. And so after a lot of struggling and depression, panic attacks, even thoughts of suicide, I slowly and gradually picked myself back up and learned a lot of things along the way and just dived into learning everything I could about breakups and relationships and eventually started my own company, Breakup Bootcamp, to help people who are going through this because I know it could be very, very dark. Yeah, no, it definitely can. I think um, it's a very universal experience. You know, we most of us, I think there might be a few lucky ones out there who've never had their heart broken, but most of us have had it once or many times. Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep, we collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. So your approach, which I found interesting, mixes science and spirituality, which always seems like it's not possible. Is it? Totally possible because healing the heart you can't go at it with just one avenue, like just therapy. I think therapy is amazing. However, therapy on its own, what I found and a lot of my clients say come after seven years of therapy and they just hit a wall. And so you need to take a very holistic approach because everything is connected. The heart, body, mind, soul, spirit, it's all connected. And so at Breakup Bootcamp, we have a nutritionist who's cooking really healthy food. We have energy healers. We have psychologists. We have behavioral scientists. We have hypnotist. We even have a dominatrix who teaches on the psychology of power. And we take a very holistic approach to healing the heart. And it's not just about the relationship with the ex. People come to breakup boot camp because they think they're there because of their ex. It's not. It's recycled pain. Mm. And so we need to dive deep into the subconscious patterns. And sometimes I'm sure you might relate or your listeners might relate. On one level, your head says, okay, this person's bad for me. I shouldn't do it. I'm not going to get back together. But you're like, okay, just, just this one more time, right? Like any, everything in your body is telling you green light, even though your brain is saying red light. So why is that? And so it's not just a cognitive thing. It goes much deeper. And we also have what's called compound trauma. And sometimes that breakup is just a band-aid that got ripped off. And now you're dealing with all of the heartbreaks from the one before that to the one in childhood. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. I mean, one of my um, sort of biggest beefs has been that people always say like it's either science or spirituality. And I always feel like, I mean, it doesn't have to be you believe in God or whatever, but to me, the universe gave us both. And I'm always like, why does it have to be one or the other? I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure. And now, 
I'm pretty sure you can use both, but also now modern medicine um, has actually started launching like major hospitals have been launching integrative um, integrative therapy and actual integrative uh, departments, which fuse both the usage of like Western medicine for a problem with more holistic approaches, like you said, diet, um, meditation, um, acupuncture, like all these other kinds of ways to heal the body. Um, so I love that you've, you know, brought all of that together and the dominatrix. Okay. Yeah, that's fire. <laughs> Aisha and I are like, um, maybe we could. <laughs> I'm like, when is, <laughs> when is that one happening? When is that course? Why sign up for this? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you sort of mentioned some of this earlier, but Let's just break it down a little. Why why is it so hard to get over someone? I mean, one thing you mentioned is you see a future with them and then there's that sense of loss of future. But what yeah. else, like what what are some of the other things that people go through? Yeah, Natasha, you you definitely said it right. Like we sometimes have such a tunnel vision and focus on this future plan and we get so attached to that plan and making sure it all works in order that when that doesn't work out, we're completely out of sorts. And when I work with women at Breakup Bootcamp, after digging deeper, we find out often they didn't even really like their ex, but they just wanted to get married at a certain time or to have children. Or they said, I've given him or her the best years of my life. So because of that, uh, it's called sunk cost fallacy where you look at your past investment and you let that kind of cloud your judgment on what would yield you the results you want in the present and the future. You stick around. And so, yes, the plan is a huge one. And the, the second, you know, just on a biological level, human beings are wired to connect. And this goes way back into like a hunter-gatherer days where if you were rejected, that could literally mean death. And so we are still running with the same wiring and programming, even though we're so woke now and we have computers and we have, you know, Instagram filters, our brain is still you know, reacting the same way. So when we feel rejection from our romantic partner, we go into what is called primal panic. And this is just, you're just a mammal who's sensing a loss of connection and you literally think you're going to die. So, and it, and it, of course it depends, right? It depends on the intensity of the relationship, if you're codependent, all those things. But something to understand is immediately after a separation, your body is in a state of shock. That's actually the first stage of separation. So this is very normal. Shock is really your body's way of bracing you to not accept the full reality because it's too much to bear, but you're getting a glimpse of like, oh my gosh, is it over? Is it not over? And then you go into denial and then you go into sadness and depression and then anger. After anger, you might have a relapse, which is very similar to denial and that ends in acceptance. And you can hop around in there in that process. It's not linear, but you do go through every stage. And the more we resist a certain stage by being like, I shouldn't feel like this. I'm so stupid. I should have done that. All of those things, that self-hatred, that self-blame just keeps you stuck in that stage longer than you need to be. And now I'll end with one more really important thing. You have neural pathways that have been wired together with your, your ex. So every time you had you know, coffee in the morning, that sweet text, the hugging, the makeout sessions, the sex, all of that, you're getting your doses of dopamine and oxytocin, your feel-good chemicals. After a breakup, even on a cognitive level, you know that the relationship is over. Your body doesn't. Your body's like, what the fuck? So- when you are in a breakup, you have neural pathways that have been wired together with your ex. And so every time you had that morning coffee, those sweet text messages, makeup, sex, all of that, you have neural pathways that are wired together. And you're also used to getting your doses of dopamine and oxytocin, which is your feel-good chemicals. And so after your breakup, your mind might know on a cognitive level that it's over, but your body is like, what the fuck? It's in a complete state of shock. So it says, give me that hit of dopamine. Give it to me right now. And that's what might propel you to go 
scroll their Instagram feed, read old text messages. You might even call them and yell at them just to get that hit because you're still getting a hit even if it's a negative interaction. And so that's all of your body just trying to get that hit of dopamine from your partner. And after, if you don't have a very clear detox and a separation and you keep texting or you have makeup sex or whatever that is, you're not allowing those neural pathways to prune away. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a really important point uh, about this because I think that's something everybody can relate to of going through the breakup. Obviously, we don't realize that there, there's a chemical component to it. And we do all these activities to fill the void in a sense, you know. Um, I mean, I, I was notorious for, you know, casual. I was like, hey, man, who's who's the next flex? You know, I would hit up somebody else and be like, let's just have a one night. And I thought that would make me feel better. And then I, it was like, oh, that didn't do it. Or it felt okay for a second. And then that chemical drop happens again. And um, I think other people, you know, use drugs, alcohol, um, lots of different ways to feel that increase of uh, the, those neurotransmitters for a bit. And then it drops really fast really hard. It's kind of like a crash. It's like, it's like taking Red Bull and then having a crash. Um, Yeah. And I feel like uh, it's important. Isn't that, isn't it crazy, Aish, when you think about it in that way, that it's not just a physical experience happening to you. It's an actual chemical experience. Yeah. Yeah. It just helps explain so much of the why of why we go back and do these things and go and you know, go back to partners who are very clearly bad for us. Cause I, I keep thinking about like the last couple of times I did that and literally being like, why am I doing this? Why, while I'm doing this. So it's like really helpful to know that like not necessarily totally in control of it. <laughs> right. And Aisha, something to also keep in mind is they've done studies where they've taken people who are newly separated and they mm-hmm. uh, did an fMRI scan on their brain. And what they found was the same part of the brain would light up as a drug user feening for their next fix. You're literally in withdrawal. So those symptoms after when you think you're going crazy is really you're in withdrawal. And so you wow. actually have to treat yourself as if you are a drug user feening for drugs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's fucking crazy. I mean, uh, I'm very excited for you to walk us through some of the breakup boot camp. But before that, you know, I so vividly remember being the person that could be so activated after a a breakup, like, you know, playing fucking songs on repeat, (laughs) like all the sad love songs, all the, you you know, just trying to find that fill from outside. And for any listener who is either going through this or, um, or has gone through this, uh, I want you to know it can totally get better because yeah. I think one of the the things that I have learned over the year has been to sort of manage these chemical reactions a little bit where I used to be so reactive and now I've gotten to a place where if I have a breakup, I'll feel like shit for a couple of days, but I have no reaction to it after. Like, as in, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I go into like, take care of you mode. Um, And that's the stuff I'm really excited for you to share with people. But before that, you said that one of the biggest things is that loss of future, right? The the vision that you had with your partner. Um, You also have this thing called future tripping, right? With With a partner, do you want to explain that a little? Yeah. So I talk about future tripping in my book and it happens many different times. So it could happen right after a breakup where you think about that future that now won't happen and you go into a complete shame and depression spiral. It could also happen when you're newly dating someone and you might have one date, it goes well, you're both on equal playing field, you like them just as much as they like you, and then you go on another date and then it's somewhere between date two and three. You remember that oh, they said they wanted to go to Bali. You're like, I wanted to retire in Bali. 
and they said that, yeah, they're building a business and they want to have a farm one day. You're like, oh my gosh, I love gardening. And in between date two and three, you future trip. And this is when you create this fantasy of the life that you could have together. And you start living that fantasy in your head as if it's actually happening. But what's happening is your body cannot tell the difference between what's happened in the past, the present, and the future. So you are getting that hit of dopamine. You are getting those feel-good chemicals every time you think about it like that. And guess what happens on date three? You meet up and his or her level of interest for you is exactly where it was before. And yours has now skyrocketed. And your energy is different because you're way more invested and you're hoping that they like you. And then you're a little self-conscious. And whether you're future tripping when you first date someone or you're future tripping because you just broke up with someone, it's both the same thing. Your mind is in a loop. It's in a spiral. You're ruminating either in the past or in the or into the future, and it is not serving you. And so just one quick tool for anyone listening who has a tendency to do this is something I call the stop sign exercise. So the minute you notice you're about to future trip, you actually, you close your eyes, you imagine a big red stop sign. Then you say the word stop. You open your eyes and then you start looking and pointing out everything you're grateful for. You're like, oh, I love how beautiful the sky is right now. How fortunate I to live in this city. You just notice everything you listed off. What will end up happening is eventually you'll lose your train of thought. And it, so it stops that future trip from going off into some crazy, you know, hour to like, it cuts it short. And you're like, oh shoot, I don't even remember what I thought about. The first few times I might feel contrived. You're like, this doesn't work. I'm still thinking about Bali. But if you try it enough times, again, you start building this kind of muscle, these neural pathways that enable you to actually have the tool to get yourself out of that spiral. Yeah, that's so relatable. I think every single person, especially, you know, uh, women, can attest to you go on the date and after a few dates you start doing the like last name thing you know yeah. like, oh, what would my name sound with this person and right. and oh my gosh he said um oh, our kids would look so pretty and oh. he's just making like a throwaway con- comment <laughs> and and the girl's like, he wants to marry me. Our wedding right. is going to look like A, B, C, D, E. And and I do think that is one of the reasons when it doesn't work out, if it's like by date five, it hurts so much because you've created this entire mental image and the other person was just staying very present. Like, yeah, those things, it wasn't. Yeah, Stop. day five, they're like still just like, oh, what a great margarita. And yeah. by then you've had a house together. You've had three <laughs> retirements. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no. uh, Do you notice or is there any science around, is it more women who get attached versus men? Is there, or is it all just sort of the same? I don't have any statistics on men versus women, but definitely in terms of attachment style, yes. So those who have an anxious attachment style have a tendency to connect a lot faster. And if you'd like, I could just summarize attachment theory, if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So for those listening who haven't heard of attachment theory, the idea is that around age of two, we develop an attachment style, which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. And there's three main types of attachment. They're secure, which is about 50% of the population. They're not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. They do not base their sense of self-worth or validation on their partner. In the event of a problem or an argument, they're pretty even keel and they they're able to move through and communicate and talk about their boundaries and their limits and receive love. Now, the next type is avoidant. Avoidantly attached people subconsciously suppress their attachment system. So this doesn't mean that they're not in relationships. It means they always have an emotional distance to their partner. And what happens is when someone gets a little too close, it triggers this subconscious belief that they are going to be suffocated. They're going to have their independence and freedom taken away. And they equate intimacy with a loss of autonomy. So when someone gets too close, they do what's called deactivation. 
activating strategies, which might mean they might go into their cave and not call for a few days. They might have a romantic weekend and then completely disappear. They might then start noticing all these faults. They might chase someone with an impossible future or idolize their ex or this unicorn that doesn't exist. And then the third is anxiously attached. And these are the types of people I work with the most because those who have an anxious attachment style take breakups the hardest. They have a tendency to put a lot of their identity and self-worth in the relationship and the validation from their partner makes up their self-esteem. They have tendencies to be more codependent and they actually subconsciously believe that they will be abandoned or neglected at any moment. So out of the three attachment styles, they're the quickest to perceive any offset emotion and a threat to the connection. And when this happens, it triggers their nervous system and they freak out. So they have this fight or flight survival mechanism come in place where they literally feel like they're going to die until they reestablish connection with their partner. They will do what's called protest behavior, meaning if someone takes you know, four hours to text back, they might punish them and say, well, fuck this. I'll take four days. See how you like it. (laughs) Or they might really like someone. And because they have so much anxiety, they might date three other people and have sex with these two just to take the edge off. They might even reject someone before they have a chance to reject them because they're so afraid and they anticipate rejection. Um, And so people who have an anxious attachment style have a tendency to future trip and fantasize about these relationships a lot um, because this is kind of, they, they, have, they get really preoccupied with relationships and love because it kind of makes up their world. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, we, we uh, listeners, we have a, a, another episode also by Dr. Aris on attachment style. So make sure you guys listen to that. But this is an, a fucking awesome rundown of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like, uh, uh, and, and people can go through the different stages of it, right? So you pretty much have a very similar attachment style. 20% of the population shifts their attachment style based on these studies that have been done. But yes, through just awareness of what your attachment style is and doing some work, starting to shift those reactions when you do get triggered, those are all steps that help you become what's secure. Mm -hmm. And then through enough time and also dating people who are more secure, Mm -hmm. you you can get what's called an earned security you become an earned secure. Mm. So I used to be crazy on the spectrum of the most anxiously attached ever. I would call, call, call back then in the day, like you could start six, seven or something and like yeah. block your numbers from showing up. I would call like crazy and then I would call for another number. I was like nuts. Uh, and then I would be like, oh, I might get like in trouble for like stalking. Like this seems like really uncool. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm going to do the complete opposite. I'm just going to be like, uh, pretend I don't like you. And I'll just reject people before they can reject me. Mm. And it wasn't that I was an avoidant. I acted on the outside like an avoidant, but I was an anxiously attached masquerading as an avoidant. I adapted from being crazy calling all the time to going the complete opposite. And I took, you know, I I took it really seriously because I knew my anxious attachment style was ruining my relationships. And I did everything I could to work on it. And I'm now what's called an earned secure. Mm, I like that. I, yeah, I feel like I relate to that. I, I think I was more anxious, probably hiding as a, a as an avoidant. And in the last few years, I've probably become a bit more on the secure side. <laughs> Aish, do you? Yeah, I, same. <laughs> definitely like a, I don't know. I definitely feel both anxious and avoidant. So yeah. I don't know, somewhere in that spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> I know. An avoidant anxious person. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Amy, walk us through this um, breakup boot camp. Like, what do people need to know, and like, how can they sort of start getting yeah. over an ex? Yeah. So, I feel like the very first thing is being gentle with yourself and allowing yourself the time and space to heal. We have a tendency in North America to label emotions as good and bad, right mm-hmm. and wrong. 
So when we feel sad or when we feel bad, we're like, oh, that's bad. Don't feel that way. And then it creates this shame and this resistance. And that's what often will cause us to react in a way, like you mentioned earlier, Natasha, to just suppress it, avoid it, you know, turn to something to get a little bit of a hit, to just forget about the emotion because we've labeled it as bad. And I work with a lot of people who are also high achievers, right? That's why they're coming to break up boot camp. They're like, yeah, I'm ready. And, and those are the ones that actually have it I think the hardest because not only are they dealing with the emotional range that comes with the separation, they have an extra layer of shame where they are so hard on themselves and they keep kind of like getting angry at themselves that they can't just get over it. But it's just a broken heart is like, it's like, if you broke your leg, would you expect that the next day you're going to be jogging and maybe running a marathon? Absolutely not. If you broke your leg, you would be like, oh my gosh, I need to not use my leg. I got to go to the doctor. I got to put a cast on. I got to nurse this thing back to hell. And then I'll even consider walking slow jog, right? But when it comes to the heart, there's this idea, and especially, I don't know if you've ever had friends try to help you after breakup and after like, just get over it. Or like, everything happens for a reason. Stay strong. Don't cry. Like, no, that's terrible, terrible advice. This is a part of being human. And I, I get excited when people are after a breakup because I know a breakup is really an opportunity to redirect your life. And yes, it hurts. Yes, it can be uncomfortable. But through that, and you can make it through that, and you will make it through that, there is this building of resilience. There is this wisdom that only you can learn by going through it. And I say, don't ever trust someone who's never gone through a heartbreak. There is this depth and this sense of compassion that someone has when they've gone through it. And you can actually even look at another woman who's going through a breakup. And in just that look, you can help her feel a little bit less alone versus this judgmental, just get over it. Like that is complete lack of compassion. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's one thing. Like just allow yourself to be human and give yourself a break. And that, yes, there is a time that you have to let that immediate emotional intensity start to subside. And then you go into the next stages, which is let's get to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm. because you're right. A lot of people... uh, take, I mean, we've all done it. I, I used to take it very personally. It's hard to, when when somebody breaks up with you, not to internalize yeah. me. I think that's the hard, like, do you find that's one of the hardest feelings, Aisha? Like, especially for a high achiever, you said, Amy, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think I'm a bit, you know, of a perfectionist or, or try to be. And so when a when a relationship didn't work out, I always turned it to myself and it took, you know, therapy and a therapist to sort of make me aware that I was always putting it on me, even when it was somebody else's like clear bad behavior, for example. Um, So there's definitely this, the self-talk that happens that, um, that you're the problem is, Mm -hmm. are there ways of like managing that kind of stuff? It, that is definitely about self-compassion and self-compassion. They've done a lot of work on this now. And whereas before, I think, you know, even a decade or so ago, they'd be like, oh, that's woo-woo. It's so spiritual. No, they have done science that self-compassion helps people in addictions. It helps people um, alleviate their stress, higher levels of happiness and peace. There's so much research that doing self-compassion and mindfulness techniques actually helps your overall mental health. And so when you are having this internal dialogue that's blaming yourself, that is so hard on yourself, that's stuck in the should have, could have, would have, this is when you practice self-compassion. And self-compassion is a muscle that you build. And you can do this by doing... even starting off with guided meditations, there's a ton of stuff out there by Kristen F. I would definitely recommend that. And self-compassion is a critical step in the process of forgiveness because ultimately at the end, we want to be able to forgive our exes regardless of what happens because we do that for ourselves. But it is a challenge. It's a tall order. And if you can't have compassion for yourself, it's sure as hell going to be really difficult to have compassion and acceptance for someone else. Mm-hmm. 
And so, so once we get over that, that first hump, what's the next thing that people can kind of do? So once you've gotten through that emotional intensity, so they say time heals all wounds. It doesn't. Time heals the emotional intensity. And what we found at Breakup Bootcamp is this usually subsides between six to eight weeks is when that crazy up and down roller coaster starts to level out a bit. Once you're past that, then it's time to start looking inward. That's when you can go back into like cognitive processes and be like, okay, like what happened here? What are the lessons that I can learn? And one thing is stop vilifying the ex. No matter what happened, when you're stuck in a storyline of how terrible the person is, what a narcissist they are. And then you talk to your friends and they're like, oh my God, such a sociopath, like all that stuff, right? It might make you feel a little bit better, like having junk food does in the moment and you feel awful afterwards. It doesn't help you overall to move forward. And the more you're stuck in this the storyline of being the victim and your ex being the villain, you are still in a relationship with the ex. It doesn't matter if there's a divorce paper. It doesn't matter if there is a breakup. If you are thinking about your ex that way, vilifying him, constantly talking about the story over and over again, you're still in a relationship with your ex. And so I would really focus on now that you have all this empty space, right? While you were in a relationship, if you look at it, like if you drew a pie, how much of that slice of pie was dedicated to the relationship? I know working with the people I do, it's usually at least 50%, 60, 70, 80, 90%, right? And so especially if you have tendencies to be more codependent or anxiously attached, a lot of your world is that slice of pie is your ex. So what do you think is going to happen after breakup? You have an 80% slice of pie of your life that's now empty. If you are not proactive and strategic in filling up that pie, what do you think you're going to create that pie with? Thoughts of your ex, ruminating about your ex. So get really strategic. What are the needs that you are getting fulfilled in that relationship? If it's physical touch, you might want to go get a Swedish massage. They've done studies that show Swedish massages actually increase your levels of oxytocin. Community, go volunteer. Um, Sometimes when you are feeling so helpless, helping someone else really gets you out of this mind of just you, 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 and zooms you out. It totally has a really healing effect on you. Make dates with your friends. Whatever it is, look at the needs that you need to get met and be strategic in filling up your pie with activities and people that can help you with that. So I have a question. When, you know, you're saying um, don't vilify the ex, which, you know, we're like, every, everybody's uh, guilty of, of doing a bit of that. Oh, yeah. But what is the line for the people who always go back? Like, you know, I have a, a girlfriend going through something right now and she's much better about it. But for a long time, it kept being this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because she couldn't remember, you know, right. when as soon as they broke up, she would romanticize the relationship a little bit. And mm-hmm. instead of sort of remembering, not that they're a villain, but maybe why it wasn't working. Um, and I know I was guilty of that when I was in two really toxic relationships in the past. Um, I felt like the thing that helped me was actually at one point writing and reminding myself of the bad things. Like, hey, this person did, because, you know, some people are in really toxic relationships. So it's like, most, most I don't think are. Most I think are with people that maybe they're just not a fit. So they don't have to be a villain. But there are some villains. Is it okay to sort of remember that some people just aren't good for you? Or what, what is the balance between not making them a villain but also not like romanticizing. Totally. That's such a great point, Natasha. And I think your idea of writing down that list is great because it depends on your situation. So if you, the problem after a breakup is that detox period and that withdrawal period is very difficult. And so when we, when we romanticize the ex, it's our way of staying in relationship with the person. Even when we are, um, listening to sad love songs and feeding that pain, that's still our way of staying in the relationship because the pain is the last thing that we have to hold on to. And so if you have a tendency 
to go back to someone who's not healthy for you, then you want to have a lot of stop gaps. So one would be like, okay, the next time I get that feeling of missing my ex, I'm going to do these three things. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read that list on my phone of all the reasons why we weren't the right fit and all the terrible ways I felt when I was with this person. Second, I'm going to get my dose of feeling good about myself because I might be forgetting my sense of self-worth. I am going to read one of these letters and we've done this in the past. We've had um, people get friends to write a letter about why they love them so much and you reread that letter, right? So you might even in, in advance ask one of your closest friends to write a letter of all the reasons why they love you and how they see you and you reread that letter and that will give you this jolt of like dopamine and like feel good chemical and you might even call a friend and be like, hey, can you hold space for me right now? I'm going through a withdrawal right now. And They've done studies that show it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for that craving to subside, whether it's cookies or whether it's contacting your ex. So if you can figure out what you can do and busy yourself for that 20 to 30 minutes, that could be really helpful to let that craving rise and move through because it's eventually going to pass. Yes, this too shall pass has been one of my favorite life quotes um, <laughs> for all moments. Uh, no, you, you know, uh, just to sort of piggyback off of that, there's, yeah, there's so much research about um, oxytocin being the, the hardest of the neurotransmitters to sort of um, uh, fill after because, that it, because it is the bond part mm-hmm. that makes it so difficult and why that detox period is so important in the beginning what you were saying that that first emotional roller coaster um what about social media mm. that though like cuz when you're detoxing of that person you're obviously I love the stuff that you're saying like even talking about them with your friends keeps them in your mind right. so what are you know and I like the idea of replacing them with things. So like being very strategic about it. Does that include, because now we're 2020, everybody's connected to everybody on social. Like, yeah. is it everything? Like we're just blocking their number, blocking them on social. Does that mean forever, just now? Yeah. So the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Hard for people. And it is hard, but think about it this way. The next time for anyone listening, when you want to reach out to your ex by just, you know, using your Finsta and checking out their IG feed, think about your brain and the neural pathways. And, you know, every single day that you've gone without a dose of your ex, in social media, text, whatever, you're, you're, those neural pathways are starting to print away. And then you're like, you know what? Just this one time, you scroll their feed. Boom. You're, you're back. back. You're strengthening you those feeling. old neural pathways. So that work you've been doing to detox, you're taking a few steps back. And like, you might even want to do, print out a calendar and create what's called a strike. So when you, every single day that you are able to, you know, be X-free, um, like you don't do any social media and then you do something positive for yourself. So at Breakup Bootcamp, we have each person have an accountability partner every single day for 30 days. They have to write down three things they're grateful for and why, and then send a text message and send it to their friend. This actually helps you build the pathways to create gratitude in your life and actually starts to change your brain after 28 days. It works. Sean Aker does a lot of great work on this. And so Um, and then there's also one for like, did you do your self-care? What's your one thing for self-care? Maybe it's meditation, ritual, bath, whatever it is. And every day you do a strike with an X. And what happens is naturally as a human being, when you see a week full of X's, it does give you hits of dopamine where you want to complete the whole calendar. So that is a really great way to get yourself out of that rut. And the first seven days is going to be the hardest. And I really think it, what you want to do is understand there's nothing wrong with you. It's not because you're broken or you're fucked up. That's why you're craving your ex who wasn't good for you. This is a natural process of withdrawal, but you want to be smart about setting up the systems, right? If you are trying to you know, get really fit and healthy, but you have cookies and cake all around you, mm-hmm. at 8 a.m., you'll be fine to, to not you know, eat the cookies, but willpower starts to go down as the day progresses. So by 4 p.m., your willpower shot, you're going to eat the cookie. Same 
same thing with social media. Set yourself up for success. Block them off social media. If you need to have a conversation and let them know like, hey, I am going to take the next 60 days for myself to heal. Please respect my wishes. Do not contact me. When I'm ready to reach out, I will do so. Do not do so. And tell your friends like, hey, I know you love me. I don't want to know if you've seen my ex or you see them on social media. Don't. And really just create a system that's going to set you up for success. That's a really good, important one because um, Aisha and I have talked about this before. Sometimes like your friends are are trying to be helpful, but they don't realize that they're they're actually just prolonging or sort of stretching out your pain by giving you updates. And you're like, I didn't ask. I didn't, I don't care. Why are you telling me? Mm-hmm. Hey, I saw this person here. Oh my God, did you see that he posted a picture with this girl? Or, or but you're like, ah, don't put me back. Right. Yeah. So setting yeah. boundaries is important also. And and just sort of like telling telling people and communicating with them that this is something you don't want. Um, right. Because I think friends are well-intentioned. They're not trying to yeah. bring you back to that. They think that they're helping you and being a loyal friend by telling you those things. So don't feel scared to tell your friends, hey, this is not something that's going to be helpful for me. I, I've had to do that to my friends before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really, you know, people don't, aren't equipped, right? They didn't go to school to learn how do you hold space for a friend going through a traumatic breakup. Mm-hmm. And so it is up to you to communicate that. And I I tell people, you communicate how someone can hold space for you. And that means sometimes if you just need to get something off your, your chest and you need to express, you call them up and you say, hey, Natasha, Aisha, can you hold space for me right now? I don't want any advice. I just need someone to listen to me without judgment and be present. And then you go. And like, and that's it. And I think that's important. Telling your friends, don't give unsolicited advice. Most mm. people aren't equipped to give advice. Don't vilify the ex. You know, even though your friends are on your side and they want to talk about what an asshole this person was, it doesn't actually help you in the long run. You have to teach them how to support you. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Okay, so now, so we've done the detox, we've done some of this, you know, the leaning on friends and replacing, and then what? I think the next step would be understanding what you can learn from the relationship and the breakup. Mm -hmm. And I would look at what was the emotional experience and is that emotional experience repeating? Because... What happens is there's something called attractions of deprivation. And this is a theory that we are drawn to people that can wound us in very similar ways to how we were wounded as children. Mm. And our subconscious, our psyche tries to recreate the scenario of the crime in an attempt to change its ending. So I know for myself, I grew up with a very in a very chaotic household and my father was a business guy. He put the family 10th on the priority list um, and he was never available. And the only time I got a little bit of attention was when I got good grades and I would get money. And so he showed love through money. And when I grew up, but you know, first in my 20s, I dated DJs and club owners. And then in my 30s, I dated only like tech entrepreneurs. And I was like, oh, no, 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 there's no pattern here. But when I looked at the emotional experience, it was exactly the same. I was always clamoring for their time and attention, hoping they would choose me, chasing them, trying to be useful and helpful and editing myself to a version that I think would have drawn them in. And I was always just um, feeling so deprived and, and it was never an equal investment. And so the emotional experience was exactly the same. And so it's important after a breakup to, for you to assess these things and reflect so that you can take that relationship and see what patterns, what can you learn? So you don't keep crossing the same bridge over and over again. That's a really good point. I think also what what that you specify the emotional experience because a lot of people get confused and they think, well, no, I mean, I'm I'm not dating. There's no pattern of guy. Like for right. me, the guys I dated, they all looked totally different. They did something different. So I always just thought for a long time, no, there's no, I'm not trying to rework some childhood thing out. They're all totally different. They're nothing like right. my dad, you know, and- but then I realized the emotional experience was exactly like it was at home. And so then I had to 
become, I mean, for me, it was just, like you said, learning that lesson and becoming aware. So anytime I would date somebody and I started feeling like, oh, they could probably give me that same negative emotional experience. I was like, this isn't the right relationship. Right. And, and, and the idea of like getting over a little bit of that closure, like I wasn't going to be able to fix that childhood relationship with my dad. So I'm like, there did come a point of just letting it go and mm. being like, I, I don't always have to fix everything. Cause this idea of, like you said, we're recreating relationships to hope that we'll fix that childhood one. And it's like, is it okay that sometimes we just fucking don't and like, <laughs> let's move on and try something new? Yes. <laughs> totally. Um, so is there, is there any more to the boot, the, to break up boot camp or are we, as you know, how? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. So there's, there's so much, right. We also do like hypnotherapy where you get in touch with your inner child. We do uh, breath work that allows you to move through like old trauma energetically through your body. Um, there's like a rewiring the belief. So understanding what is a core belief, right? Because behind the emotional experience, there is a core belief. And often it comes from, I am not enough. If you strip away everything, often there's a few core ones. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy of love. I need to be useful to be loved. Um, there, there's a few ones. And then once you identify that, because you might not even know that that is your core belief. And we develop these subconscious beliefs at a very young age. So between the zero ages of zero to seven, you your brain is like a sponge. You don't have the cognitive ability to... Uh, separate what's happening. So when mom and dad have a fight, you don't have the cognitive ability to be like, oh, they're fighting because, oh, there's finances and he's working. You're like, oh my gosh, like it's because of me. Like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a divorce. I'm a part of it. You internalize everything about you, you, you. Mm -hmm. And so it could have been something that happened. Maybe they didn't pick you up from school one day and you were there waiting for 30 minutes. And that caused some belief that got, got implanted. And without you knowing, you grow up, you forget the original incident of when you formulated a belief, but that belief is like a little rock in a river that's just there. And it does affect the way that you react, the, the people that you choose. And so we do a, you know, a pretty significant session really on trying to uncover people's subconscious beliefs and rewiring that. Mm. Wow. I see Aisha's brain working overtime. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking? I'm like literally trying to figure out what, where a lot of this stuff comes from, like in real time right now. This is yeah, like, I could see it. I, I could see her like thinking and putting it together. So and I'm like, is there, is there one step, is there one part in this you feel more stuck in? Cause I think there's like listeners probably in, in different um, areas. Like does, is one part seem harder for you? Yeah, I guess just figuring out like where it all comes from. And like, mm -hmm. I think you, when you just said, um, uh, when getting left, not getting picked up for like 30 minutes, that actually would happen to me like pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never really thought about it until right now. I'm like, oh, is that like, like, something? did you internalize some message because I must have, because yeah. <laughs> that like literally every day, my dad would like take hours to get, pick me up. I would be the last person at school waiting. And I never thought it was like anything other than me being annoyed with him. But now I'm like, oh shit. Do you have a, do you ever come across um, relationships where you don't feel that the person is dependable? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. And like, I'm putting in, you know, all the work. I'm very much a gift giver. So I feel mm -hmm. like that comes from me. Like, I don't know, trying to keep people interested, I guess. So do you think, think that you give more than you receive? Yes. Okay. 100%. Okay. So when we, if, if you look at the emotional experience where you're giving more, um, uh, you're the one trying to make the investment or making changes or making the investment for the relationship, you don't find that other people are dependable. If you, mm -hmm. if you kind of go back into the belief systems that might have caused like this outcome, it could be um, that you're not enough. Mm -hmm. And so if you think, if you think 
on a core subconscious belief that I'm not enough, then it can manifest in ways like, well, I need to prove it. So I need to prove it by giving all the time. And maybe if I give enough, then they will love me just the way that, you know, I love them. Uh, And maybe that was part of a dynamic that you experienced as a child um, where you felt that you had to earn love. You had to do something for that love versus being just loved exactly as you were without having to do anything. Does that resonate at all? Totally. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so what I would suggest, yes. if do, would you like me to tell you like yeah, a, a tool? Mm-hmm. And so the way that shifting beliefs work is you don't go from zero to a hundred. You don't go from I'm not enough to like, I'm so worthy of love. I'm like Beyonce. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Your brain will reject anything that it doesn't feel is true. Mm-hmm. And so you need to do it degree by degree. And so instead of... um if your belief is I'm not enough or I can't depend on anyone, um, then you want to just change your belief to something that's a little bit more true and a little bit more helpful. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, would you say, what would you say your belief is? I'm not enough. Is for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and so do you like, is this a hundred percent true all the time? Like, are you enough for Natasha? Are you enough for your friends? Like, do you, are there instances where you are enough? I think so. <laughs> okay. So we know that I am not enough is not a hundred percent true a hundred percent of the time. So we now know that that's, it's actually not true. Mm-hmm. And so what is a belief that's a little bit more true and a little bit more helpful that you can actually try it on for size and it might be a little uncomfortable, but it's not completely off. So that could be, there are some people who accept me for who I am. Is that true? Yes. Okay. It, and is that more helpful than I'm not enough? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So your new updated belief could be that there are some people that um, that love me exactly as I am. I forgot what I just said. <laughs> and you would write that on your on your screensaver or post-it notes. You would repeat that as your as your mantra. You would look for evidence that that's true. You'd be like, yeah, Natasha loves me for exactly how I am. Right? Like you're looking for evidence right? (laughs) I love you for exactly as you are. I think you're fabulous, right? And so you look for that evidence and you remind yourself that on a regular basis. And what will end up happening is your your belief will slightly adjust Mm -hmm. through time. And then you'll, you know, in a month from now or two months from now, you might be like, yeah, there are actually a lot of people who love me exactly as I am. And then you can shift it up a little bit more and then a little bit more. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Love that. I think, uh, you know, as we wrap out this episode, I want I, I want to touch on, you know, a big part of getting over the X is managing that feeling that I'm going to die alone. <laughs> I always feel like that's literally where everybody's mind goes to all the time is they have a breakup, they skip all of the life in between that they have, and they go to, I'm going to die alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how how can... Because I think a, an important part of getting over your ex is believing you have a future. Mm-hmm. So how can people do that? Yeah, I feel before he, someone can cognitively reframe and be like, oh yeah, this happened for a reason. Um, there, You might want to do an exercise that can actually help you practice your muscle for seeking possibility. Because after a breakup, you might be in tunnel vision of like, oh my God, I gave the best years of my life. I'm like, I'm at whatever age I am. Any age is always like the worst age. It doesn't matter what age you're at, by the way. (laughs) I've had like 20-year-olds to 80-year-olds be like, oh my God, like this is the worst time to go through this. And so it's very difficult at that point to have you know, retrospect and be like, oh, this happened for reasons. So one exercise that I work with people with is you actually create what, what like a possibility plan. And the first thing you do is you look at what are other times in your life when something didn't happen according to plan and for something else better to have come along. It might've been, you got fired from a job. And at that time you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to find something again. This is horrible. And then you found another job that was better paying or whatnot, or you lost a friendship and then you met, you opened space for another friend, whatever it was, or even a past breakup, you got over them and you're like, oh my God, thank God I'm not with that person. You write down a list 
of all these different incidences in life so that you have evidence to be like, oh, I actually have evidence that when one door closes, another door has opened for me. And so you start to be like, okay. So now after you've done that, you look at what's possible and you might go like, um, I, I didn't marry so-and-so and, and then you write, you know, other possibilities, right? So for me, if you were to ask me after my breakup, when I was in fetal position, crying, thinking about committing suicide, would I have ever moved to New York, started a breakup boot camp, been on the front time page of New York times, written a book about it. I would be like, you're fucking nuts, right. right? In retrospect, I can, but because I've now gone through that experience, whenever something happens to me, whether I don't get an opportunity that I wanted in the past when I was dating a lot and it didn't work out, I actually built a muscle of being able to reframe. And so just like you, Natasha, when you said like before you would be out for di- like a long time after a relationship, like so sad. And now you're like, oh, it takes a few days and then you get back up. That is showing you that whatever you've done, the tools that you've learned and incorporated, they're working. Because it's not that the intensity of pain of a breakup doesn't hurt or that you don't get heartbroken after a relationship. It's that you're able to get back up and you are able to exercise your muscle of resilience. So create a plan of like brainstorm different possibilities and be as wild as you possibly can. Be like, oh yeah, my breakup, my boyfriend cheated on me. And now I'm a coach that helps women who are in narcissistic relationships. Oh, I've written a blog on it and blah, blah, blah. Like just go wild or like, oh, I, I dated three people who were totally emotionally abusive. And now I'm in a relationship with someone who is so grounded and loving. And those relationships taught me what I didn't want. So I could see what I do want. Just Mm -hmm. go wild with that possibility. And that exercise helps you zoom out of your focus of like, oh my God, I'm stuck in this black hole to like, oh, and that can, can warm you up to seeing a possibility of a different future. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of what I ended up doing too, which is building that muscle. And for me, though, it was just a, a little bit of just reminding myself that there were more fish in the sea. And how did I know that? Because I always met somebody else later. And right. so every time I had a breakup, I was like, oh, well, I mean, in the beginning, again, like I said, in in my earlier years, it used to feel like, oh, fuck, this is it. I'm going to die alone. And then later I would remind myself and be like, well, you always met somebody like after. So you're going to be okay. Like you'll, you'll meet somebody. And, and I did a bit of research on this and, you know, for the people uh, and Amy, let me know what you think. Like, cause I, not everybody's going to want to, you know, be able or, or might be able to see the big picture because they don't have that future thing yet where a secure partner, a, um, life purpose or whatever, could they do something as simple as, and these are some of the suggestions I was reading, which is like, even though you're supposed to, so you're supposed to do that, that 30 day detox or whatever, your detox for however long, you know, 60 days and get this person out of your system. But in that meantime, go out, fucking flirt with people, um, know that you have options, you know, uh, sometimes, I was reading like even getting on a dating app because it is so uh, so available, but don't don't necessarily um, jump back into a relationship, like do the rebound thing, but just know that somebody matched with you. Like that gives yeah. you a sense of, hey, yeah, people will still want me whenever I'm ready to come back more whole just know that there are options. I mean, it's a, it's a slippery slope, right? But what do you think? Like, are there ways people can go out and just flirt and whatever? I mean, not in a pandemic, you can't go out and make out with people, guys, (laughs) unless you have a mask on and, you know, um, I think it depends on context and timing. So if you are in the thick of like, Oh, and you go out on a date with someone what will probably happen is you'll compare a lot and just like, oh my God, it's so awful out there. I don't want to do it. And that might make you feel worse. Um, And so it is really important that you do check in with yourself. I would kind of warm up and see like, is this 
is this lighting me up or is this actually dimming my light? That's really just your compass to use. So if going on dating apps and talking to someone else and having connection is lighting up, keep going. But if you're like, oh, this feels gross, but I'm just doing it to try to like distract myself from this pain, don't do it, right? The distraction of the pain is not going to help you. You want to process through the pain. And then once you get to a point where, you know, you're feeling a little bit more back to equilibrium and you're ready to put yourself out there, I would suggest that when you go back into dating, do not set yourself up thinking that the next person you meet is going to be your one. Expect that they're not going to be your one. Actually expect that the next 10 people aren't going to be. And all you want to do when you go dating again is experiment Mm. and try someone 10 years older, try someone 10 years younger, unless you're like 21, then don't do that. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, um, try, just try people who are totally not your type. Swipe on people who are totally not your type. And this is just your period of like learning how to build that muscle for connection again, um, meeting different people, opening up your mind. Because a lot of the times too, we get so stuck on this type of person that we think is meant yeah. for us. Or we might be like, oh, no one's going to be as great as this person. And we are actually surrounded by potential partners all the time, all the time. There's not just one person for you, but we are so close. We're closing off opportunities all the time because we're like, no, that's not it. Boring. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would practice that muscle and see dating as an experiment. It's for fun. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and, uh, and everything you said, I think will really help a lot of, um, of our listeners and also you know, just remembering, I mean, I think these are some simple sort of adages, but like, you know, you, if, if your both your hands are occupied holding a ball, for example, and you just keep holding on to that, you won't be able to catch anything else. So it is kind of like some point you have to let go, um, to allow something good to come in and you might not see it right now, but keep reminding yourself, I really like you know, that last thing, Amy, of rewiring that brain and looking for the things to remind you that there's always hope and there, and in the past it's always worked out and then the future it will continue to work out um, if you look for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, Amy, thank you so much for being on this yeah, episode. This was so fun. So, helpful. so good. <laughs> uh, you're not totally done. Um, we have six questions with you uh, as Ooh. we wrap out this episode. So this is something we ask um, every single guest so, Amy, here are your six questions. What is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Ooh, their energy. Mm. What is one deal breaker? If they do hard drugs. Good one. Uh, what turns you on? Generosity. Oh, sexy. <laughs> uh, tell us one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships. My strengths is that I, oh, shit. My strength is that I know a lot about relationships so I can see red flags. I can see if there's a potential. And my weakness is that I know a lot about relationships and I analyze the shit out of them. Yes, <laughs> I definitely get that. Um, what is love? Love is a state of being. It is a choice. It is a verb. It is peaceful. It is a sense of ease. It is a sense of home. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. And uh, besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? I got you. Oh, that's mine too. Same. Yes. <laughs> Soulmates. All three of us. Yes. Love it. Amy Chan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How can everybody find you and your book and everything? Yeah, you can find me on renewbreakupbootcamp.com and on Instagram, Miss Amy Chan, M-I-S-S-A-N-Y-C-H-A-N. And my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart is available by HarperCollins, Amazon, everywhere. Go to your closest local bookstore. (laughs) Yes, and we'll have everything in the description of this episode also, guys, so um, you can find it there. Um, Thanks again, Amy. Thank Um, you. Make sure you guys follow us on social media. We're at Kind of Dating Across the Board. Aisha? I am at Aisha Says Dance Across the Board. 
And I am uh, at Natasha Chandel official on Facebook, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha Chandel on Instagram, which is where you should follow me to do uh, Instagram lives on Sunday and Thursday um, where we can answer all your questions. So uh, hit us up there. Thank you guys for downloading this episode. If you could please take a few seconds and review us on iTunes and give us a five-star rating or review, we would be very grateful Also send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kinda Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Our producer is Adam Pineless, and our intern is Karina Uribe. The opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.